0: Our um, sermon this evening is based on the Belgian Confession, Article 2, which is on page 818 of the gray Psalter hymnals in your pews. Belgian Confession, Article 2. And yeah, and this article speaks of two books by which we know God the Book of Creation and the Book of Scripture. Page 818 of the Gray Psalter Hymnal. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, last week we saw and confessed together the glory of your nature, that you are eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchanging infinite, almighty, perfectly just, wise, and good, and the overflowing source of all that is good. And Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in a way that we can know and understand. And so we pray now that as we turn to this historic confession of the Christian church, that you would bless our eyes that we may see, bless our ears that we may hear, bless our minds that we may know, and bless our hearts that we may believe everything that it is that you would show us. Send your Holy Spirit to us now to open our eyes and make us see. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. The Belgic Confession, Article 2, the means by which we know God, and I think this one's short enough that uh, that we can say it together. So let us confess this historic confession of the Reformed tradition. With one heart and one voice we say, we know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes, like a beautiful book, in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, His eternal power and His divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1:20. All these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. Second, He makes Himself known to us more openly By his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. Amen. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we began our study of the Belgian Confession with Article 1, a powerful statement about the nature of God. As Christians, we confess and believe one God, the one true God who made the heavens and the earth. And in Article 1, we saw that this single, simple, spiritual being, whom we call God, is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all that is good. And that was a great comfort to us, as we saw that God is not like the world that we live in which is constantly changing and full of sin and evil. But there's also a problem, a challenge, that Article One introduces, and that is that the God who we confess is utterly unlike anything that we know. God is utterly unlike the world in which we live, totally unlike the reality that we know. The creation that we are a part of is not eternal, incomprehensible, infinite, unchangeable, invisible, or almighty, it is not always wise, just, or good. We live in a world marked by fallenness and sin, a world that is constantly changing, bound by time and space, a world in which we often see injustice, suffering, and evil. And so the question raised by Article One is how can we know How can we love, how can we worship this incomprehensible God? And the rest of the Belgic Confession, as we will see, tells a story. The Belgic Confession is not a very story-like document. It's a theological treatise. It explores the loci of systematic theology as they've traditionally been laid out. In response to the obvious question posed by the nature of God, it begins with the doctrine of revelation, how God reveals himself to his creation. From there, it proceeds to explore the doctrines of the Trinity, of creation, of Christ, of salvation, of the church, and of the last things. These seven themes, these seven traditional themes of Christian theology, revelation, trinity, creation, Christ, salvation, church, and the end times. The Belgian Confession is a theological document. But at the root of this document is a story. The story of the one true God who exists before and above and beyond all things, who turns to his creation in love and in grace. The question that Article 1 raises is, how can we know an incomprehensible God? And the simple answer which will be unpacked throughout the rest of the Belgian Confession, is that we can know God because God has turned to us. God has revealed himself to us. And in this article, the Belgian Confession shows us that God has revealed himself to us in two ways. And it uses the image of two books. The first book of God's revelation is Creation. The Belgian Confession that s- says that we know God first by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book, in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, God's eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. And we'll come back to Romans 1, verse 20 later on. The Belgic Confession uses an image that we are very familiar with, a book. We come to worship every Sunday and open the book of God's revelation. And what the Belgic Confession invites us to see is that another book of revelation has been opened to us even before we enter through these doors. When we open our eyes, In the morning, we are greeted by the light of God. The breath that we breathe is the air of his breath. We wash in the waters of his mercy. We eat the food of his providence. Everything in creation, whether the sun in the sky or the grass on the ground, all creatures, great and small, are like letters in the great book of God's creation. The very beginning of Scripture already makes this truth clear. The creation account of Genesis 1 tells us that God created everything that there is. Light and darkness, earth, sea and sky, the lights of the heavens, the sun, moon and stars, the plants, birds, fish and all the animals. Everything that is fashioned, shaped, formed by God's creative love. And because all things are created by him and find their being in him, All things, naturally, point us toward the God who created them. St. Augustine, in his Confessions, which is one of the greatest works of Christian writing in the history of the church. That's my opinion. That's not not confessional. Sorry. (laughs) St. Augustine, in his Confessions, uh, shares his reflections on his personal journey of faith from his childhood all the way through to his ordination as a priest and his installation as a bishop. Raised by a pagan father and a Christian mother, Augustine journeyed through the false religions of paganism, Platonism, and Manichaeanism before he came to find his place in the faith that his mother had always prayed he would come to know. And in book 10 of his Confessions, after sharing his memories of the life he has lived and how God has brought him to where he is now, Augustine turns to reflect on the mystery of memory itself. And within his exploration of memory, he has this beautiful passage about creation and how creation points us to God. And it goes like this. A lot of the Confessions is written sort of as a prayer from Augustine to God. And he writes, what is it that I love in loving thee? Not physical beauty, nor the splendor of time, nor the radiance of the light so pleasant to the eyes, nor the sweet melodies of the various songs, nor the fragrant fragrant smells of flowers and ointment and spices, not manna and honey, not the limbs embraced in physical love. It is not these I love when I love my God. Yet it is true that I love a certain kind of light and sound, and fragrance, and food, and embrace in loving my God, who is the light, and sound, and fragrance, and food, and embracement of my inner self, where that light shines into my soul, which no place can contain, where time does not snatch away the lovely sound, where no breeze disperses the sweet fragrance, where no eating diminishes the food there provided, and where there is an embrace that no satiety comes to sunder, this is what I love when I love my God. And what is this God? I asked the earth, and it answered, I am not He. And everything on the earth made the same confession. I asked the sea and the deeps and the creeping things, and they replied, We are not your God. Seek above. I asked the fleeting winds, the whole air with its inhabitants, and they answered, Anaximenes was wrong. Anaximenes was a philosopher who thought that the sky was God. They answered, Anaximenes was deceived. I am not God. I asked the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars, and they answered, neither are we the God whom you seek. And I replied, to all these things which stand around the door of my flesh, You have told me about my God that you are not he, but tell me something about him. And with a loud voice, all creation cried out, He made us. Augustine turns to creation, hoping to find out something, anything about God. But what he finds is that creation points beyond itself. To something greater. Someone greater. Augustine asks the creation to tell him something about God, and creation responds, he made us. This is the central truth about creation. It points beyond itself to the God who made it. All creatures, great and small, are like letters in a book that make us ponder the invisible things of God. And this reality, that creation is a revelation of God, which points to him, has been a guide to reformed Christians in the way that we understand and practice the discipline of scientific study. Some of you may may have been old enough to remember Uh, the controversy that uh, various synods of the Christian Reformed Church dealt with throughout the 70s and the 80s concerning evolutionary biology and human origins. Since the life and work of Charles Darwin, who lived almost a century earlier in the 1800s, biological science has become something of a political football in the culture wars in the United States, and many members of the Christian Reformed Church Uh, and many members of Christian churches all around North America, were affected by the tension and disagreement that this cultural argument caused. And this is true for the Christian-informed church as well. On the one hand, there were scientists, professors, and theologians who were worried that the church, with its theological positions, was prohibiting them from pursuing studies in the areas of biological history, human, or- human origins, and the age of the universe. But on the other hand, there were people who were very uncomfortable with the questions that science and theology were exploring. Some people believed that the going scientific theories were contrary to scripture and the confessions and that Christians who engaged in scientific uh, occupations were violating the very principles of the Christian faith itself. And so throughout throughout the late 1900s, there were conflicts with professors at both Calvin College and Calvin Seminary. And then in 1988, this is a little history lesson, In 1988, the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church accepted a recommendation from these two denominational institutions of higher learning to establish a study committee, which was supposed to address the relationship between special and general revelation, as found in Belgic Confession Article II, focusing primarily on the implications for biblical interpretation and the scientific investigation of the creation. And in 1999, the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church spent the better part of three days discussing the recommendations of this study committee's report. One of the things that the Christian Reformed Church emphasized in their discussion of this report was the conviction that scientific study is an important part of the cultural mandate that God gave to humankind in Genesis 1 verse 28 when he told the first humans, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Scripture is clear That God created humankind in his image to be his representatives on the earth, to care for the earth, and to rule over it as priests of God's creation. And our church, the Christian Reformed Church, recognizes the importance of scientific study to this task. And throughout history, we can see the great ways in which Christians, through scientific study, have blessed this world in various ways from microscopes to telescopes, from vaccines to antibiotics, from genetic theory to the Human Genome Project, all of these uh, scientific breakthroughs were pioneered by Christians. We are blessed even in our own congregation to have people who have devoted their careers to the intensive study of God's creation. We have in our midst neuroscientists and cellular biologists and doctors and dentists. And our church affirms their work as good work that glorifies God and contributes to his kingdom. But at the same time, in 1999, the church recognized the importance of interpreting everything through the light of scripture and the Christian tradition. And this points us to a difficulty that arises when we talk about creation as a revelation of God. This is the problem of the fall. All creatures, great and small, are like letters that point us to God, but at the same time, all of creation is tainted by the fall. When God created the heavens and the earth, he looked on everything that he had made and said that it was very good, but when Adam and Eve fell into sin, all of creation was affected by the rebellion of humanity against God. And so, what we find is that though God's glory and majesty are revealed in creation, it's a broken reflection that we see. As the Apostle Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly. But then, when Christ comes again, we shall see face to face. Throughout the history of God's people, we see the ways in which creation can lead us astray. Just this morning, we heard about uh, Israel's rebellion against God in Jeremiah chapter 2, where God's chosen people exchanged the living God for gods made of wood and stone and gold, gods which really were not gods at all. And God calls the heavens and earth to witness at just how unbelievable, how ridiculous it is that people would exchange worship of the true God for worship of things that they had fashioned with their own hands, things that they had made out of the leftover wood after they had chopped their firewood. Throughout the history of the Christian faith, we find that the church sort of swings back and forth on the question of God being revealed in creation, the general revelation which is common to all who live on the earth. On the one hand, creation points us so clearly to the God who created all things, but on the other hand, Our natural fallenness leads us quickly to worship the creation rather than the creator. After Augustine's awesome meditation on how creation points us to God in his confessions, we hardly see any Christian writings about the beauty of creation for almost 500 years. It's like the whole Western world is recovering from a pagan hangover. And it makes sense. Because how can you talk about seeing God in the forests and rivers and mountains when your parents worshipped the forests and rivers and mountains as gods? And even in our own day, the difficulty with the theory of evolution and biological science was not so much a problem with science as a discipline. The church didn't have a problem with good science. The church had a problem with the way that some people wanted to take a scientific theory and turn it into a comprehensive worldview. In the late 20th century, we saw people asserting evolution almost as a religious tenet, in which the natural way of things was that the strong prevailed while the weak perished. We saw the rise of evolutionary sociology and evolutionary psychology and evolutionary anthropology and evolutionary economics. The philosopher Friedrich sorry, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche believed that the strong had an inherent right to rule over the weak, in whatever way they deemed appropriate. And sadly, these worldviews did much to shape the systems of power and injustice in our world, which continue to exist to this day. Systems which allow the rich to exploit the poor, that allow the strong to abuse the weak, that allow the privileged to oppress those who have nothing. Whether we worship creation as God or use creation to try and justify our own systems of oppression, the problem is the same. The the passage that's referenced here in the Belgic Confession is from Romans 1, where the Apostle Paul writes this. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. John Calvin called the human heart a factory of idols. That we can take anything and turn it into an idol. And this is why the second book referenced here in the Belgic Confession is so important. The Belgic Confession tells us that God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word. As much as we need in this life, for God's glory, and for our salvation. And the good news is that through the gifts of God's word and spirit, we are given new eyes to see God revealed in the creation around us. The scriptures teach us to see God properly, and the Holy Spirit transforms our imaginations, transforms our sight, so that we can see God in the world around us in a way that doesn't lead us into idolatry. We see his majesty shine forth in the sunlight. His grace is poured out in the waters. His providence sustains us through bread and wine. The scriptures are like goggles. Uh, You read some of these older uh, study reports from the Christian Reformed Church on the relationship between science and faith. And it, it talks about scripture being like spectacles. We don't really use that word anymore, but like glasses that we look through and see the world rightly the scriptures are the glasses that allow us to see god in creation without being tempted to idolatry i'd like to close by talking about psalm 1 which we're going to be singing as our song of response psalm 1 invites us into god's word using the imagery of creation It goes like this, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand on the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 invites us into God's word using the imagery of creation. The one who lives steeped in God's word is like a strong tree with a steady source of water, full of life, bearing fruit. Those who do not live according to God's word are like the husk that grows around a kernel of wheat, which the wind blows away. The good news in all of this, the good news that the Belgian Confession, Article 2, explains to us is that God, who is incomprehensible, has revealed himself to us in a way that we can understand. The God who is before and above and beyond all things turns to the world he has made in love and in grace through his creation and through his word. He teaches us to know him and calls us to love Him and to trust Him. And for that, we praise His name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, we thank You that You reveal Yourself to us in a way that we can know and understand. We thank You that even though You are... Before and above and beyond all things that you have turned to us in love and in grace. And that you call us to love you with your own love. And Lord, we pray that as we continue to learn about the revelation of yourself to us through the story uh, that the Belgic Confession shares with us, the story of the gospel, we pray that we will always thank you for this great gift that you have revealed yourself to us, your creatures. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.